Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And if you haven't been following this Epic Games, Fortnite, Apple, Google saga as of the last 24 hours, then the first five minutes of this video are probably going to be pretty useful. We're going to do a brief overview of what has happened so far before diving in to the latest lawsuit that was actually filed pretty late last night by Epic Games against Google. So this all started out yesterday with what Epic called their mega drop, in which they announced that they would be allowing Epic Direct Payments, most specifically on the mobile apps, the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store. And because the direct payments would have a lower processing fee, you could receive a 20% discount on the price of the V-Bucks that they were going to sell you. Now, that's in violation of the terms of both the Apple App Store agreement and the Google Play Store agreement. As we pointed out in this video yesterday morning, Epic declares war. And it was no surprise, looking at the way they had set this up, that Apple and Google both took steps against Fortnite as a result of this action. Apple kicks Fortnite off the App Store, rang through the sky, and we were ready to do a sequel video called Apple Strikes Back. But before we even had the chance, Epic filed a federal lawsuit seeking antitrust injunctive relief against Apple in the Northern District of California. And it was clear at that point that the trap had been sprung, that Epic was baiting both Apple and Google through this action. They had lawsuits ready. I got to tell you, a 65-page lawsuit does not come out of the ether, doesn't spring out of the ground fully formed. This was being worked on for weeks, if not months, by Epic with some very highly priced counsel. Now, it's worth noting that they actually hired New York counsel to file a case in California, despite being a Maryland company operating in North Carolina. So there's some forum shopping going around here. There's some hiring of high-priced New York attorneys to talk about antitrust law going on around here. But regardless of the why, it was clear that a trap had been sprung. And so we went over it in this video yesterday, almost an hour long. Please do check it out. It's going to go over a little bit of what I'm about to overview for you a lot more fulsomely because we have to get into the Google action without taking an hour and a half or two hours to get this video done. So in that video, we talked about the Sherman Antitrust Act, which is what the basic premise of this entire case is based upon, where it says every contract and restraint of trade is declared to be illegal, as well as every person who shall monopolize any part of a trade will be guilty of these various things, restraint of trade and monopolization. We also pointed out that these laws were written over broadly. They were written in 1890, and it wasn't the uh, maximum of our ability to write laws in the United States, although sometimes I question even that when I see some of the bills that are proposed today. And so we looked at the Federal Trade Commission, who often is a part of these kinds of actions, along with the Department of Justice, and we got a little bit more color for how the Sherman Act and antitrust law in general is to operate. Specifically, the Supreme Court decided that the Sherman Act does not prohibit every restraint of trade, only those that are unreasonable. For instance, in some sense, an agreement between two individuals to form a partnership restrains trade, it absolutely does, but may not do so unreasonably and thus may be lawful under the antitrust laws. On the other hand, certain acts are always illegal. These include plain arrangements among competing individuals or businesses to fix prices, divide markets, or rig bids. That's why it's usually easier to make the claim amongst a group, a cartel of firms, of companies, rather than a single company, but there are still single firm actions that can get you into trouble under Sherman. It's important to note, however, that it is not illegal for a company to have a monopoly or to charge high prices. 
or to try to achieve a monopoly position by what might be viewed by some as aggressive methods. The law is violated only if the company tries to maintain or acquire that monopoly through unreasonable methods. Now, if this isn't your first rodeo in virtual legality, you know, even that language, which isn't law, it's just a summary from the Federal Trade Commission, isn't terribly useful. Unreasonable is going to have a very different definition depending on which judge you're talking to, which company you're talking about. But it's still worth noting that just having a high percentage of a market isn't a problem. You actually have to do something bad with that potential market power. And in itself, market power is all going to be based on definitions, right? Apple has a very small percentage of the technology market of all pieces of hardware out there in the world. It has a larger percentage of the cell phone market, and it has a 100% monopolist percentage of the iOS market. That's its product. And that's the open question when we look at these lawsuits is to whether or not you can start to frame that market small enough where you can say Apple is a monopolist provider of access to Apple, and so you should get in trouble for doing it in a way that is somehow uncouth, harms Epic, or harms someone else. As we say, if competitive forces or the entry of new firms could discipline the conduct of the leading firm, courts are unlikely to find that the firm has lasting market power. What we said at the top of that video yesterday was that technology is notoriously disruptive, that Google is only X amount of years old and before that didn't exist at all, and that search engines were fought over for a long period of time and will be fought over again, and browsers and iPhone operating systems and everything else. So when we start talking about these kinds of things, it is important to note that technology is one of the most tumultuous industries. And in general, the Department of Justice, the antitrust laws are too slow to really do anything. And a lot of people came to my comments and talked about Internet Explorer versus Safari versus Mozilla, all that stuff that happened with Microsoft, that happened with IBM in the 70s and 80s. And it's always worth noting that even in those actions, the market had already started to dissipate for those companies uh, that were happening. That Microsoft wound up entering into a settlement agreement, I believe, in respect of the Internet Explorer action after they had already lost the Internet Explorer uh, monopoly and any problems that might have been caused by that because there were other better alternatives that were readily available on the open market. Now, some folks are going to have a more aggressive stance about enforcement of the antitrust laws than I do. That's perfectly okay. As we say in this space, reasonable minds can differ. But I think you have to be very cautious about allowing what amounts to a competing firm with a very specious argument about actual harm happening to consumers for the actions taken by folks like the Apple Store or the Google Play Store and saying, we would just prefer not to spend that amount of money, Judge. That that's a different question than consumers are being harmed, which is really what the Sherman Antitrust Act is all about, is protecting consumers. It's not so concerned about competitors being able to compete with each other. Competitors are always going to be bothered by the prices that they pay. And in particular, in this particular instance, obtaining a monopoly by superior products, innovation, or business acumen is legal. You were allowed to be good at business in the United States. And so that was the background to which we described the, the Apple case and that we found significant problems with it, that the Apple market as defined by Epic was essentially access to the iOS, which is what Apple created, which was unique to Apple's hardware, which wasn't being shopped anywhere else. And that Apple had some vested interest in being able to say what product we want to sell. And that product is a curated walled garden. And some people like that. And when Epic goes and spends 16 pages uh, saying, hey, well, that's a billion people we'd like access to. 
Apple can very easily turn around and say, that's a billion people who like the product as is. That for such consumer harm, nobody forced them to buy an iPhone. And you admit that only 57% of people bought an iPhone in the most recent calendar quarter. That there are these options and some people like a closed system and some people like an open system and we want a market that supports both. But nevertheless, as you can expect, things continued on throughout the night and Google Play kicked off Fortnite as well, just like Apple did. And so the trap we were anticipating was once again sprung as Epic sued Google over Fortnite's removal from the Google Play Store, just like they did to Apple. You can see the timeline on this. This is already being reported almost at 9 p.m. Eastern, which leads us to today's video. Tried to do it in five minutes, did it in eight. Sorry about that. But we are going to be skipping through broad swaths of this particular claim that repeat what they had to say about Apple. So we can skip those things and you can go refer to that earlier video if you are interested in them. I will say this though, they have the fundamental problem in this lawsuit that they have with Apple, which is that they have to establish that a party that created a product should not be allowed to essentially control access to that product because it's too popular. But they also have a problem by establishing whether or not the cost to the consumer is more substantial due to the presence of this product than it would be in its absence, right? Their fundamental issue in both of these cases is that 30% is charged not just here and not just on the Apple App Store, but also on Steam, also on Nintendo, also on PlayStation, also on Xbox, that 30% is in general thought of as the market price for technological access to a digital storefront. And so when they make claims in a lawsuit like this one that says, if Google didn't have this monopoly power, which we are asserting that they do, that number would come down. It's very easy to counter that with a response that says, well, Judge, uh, Steam is in a perfectly open PC environment. In fact, Epic talks about how great the PC is for pages and pages and pages, and Steam charges 30%. Now, Epic's trying to break that up, and, and good for them, but Steam charges 30%, appears to be the market price. How can you say that we are using monopoly power in some fashion when the price we charge is the same price as everybody else charges? And that's going to continue to be a hurdle, a roadblock for Epic because they don't just have to show a monopoly. As the FTC rightly says, they have to show a monopoly being used to harm consumers. And that's a tricky thing. And even trickier is when they start to say, hey, well, those savings would be shared. And they go and they point to their mega drop and they say, look, this is what people could be getting. Yeah, if you control all aspects of that price point, but even in their own Epic Game Store, which has a 12% distributor share uh, instead of a 30% one, then you don't see all of that money coming back to consumers. In fact, a lot of those prices stay the same across the stores. And so Epic has a problem by trying to establish that this harms consumers at all. It appears to be baked in that who it potentially harms is developers and publishers, but that isn't really what the Antitrust Act is about. That yes, we would prefer to have more developers and publishers make money, and certainly they would prefer to have them make money. But what we are trying to protect against is monopolistic power that hurts consumers. And Epic's going to have a tough time actually showing that. Now, let's take a look at this actual case because there are some interesting differences between the way the Google Android operating system works and is marketed and the way the Apple iOS operating system is marketed, uh, specifically for Apple hardware. Now, some of you might think that because Android is more open, it's available on things that Google doesn't own, that it's a harder case for Epic to make. And I think in certain respects it is, but in other respects, it is actually an easier case. I think Epic actually has some claims to a better case here because it does mirror 
a lot of what we saw in the earlier Windows cases with respect to tying of Internet Explorer and things like that, which while not terribly useful in breaking up the market and in doing anything other than spending a lot of lawyers' time and money and Department of Justice time and resources, still sets certain rules and guidelines that we can look at this specific space. And because Google sells into other manufacturers' products, they don't have the same ability to claim that there is a kind of blanket right to say, hey, we want to curate this. We want to create this closed ecosystem because that's what people are purchasing. That when Google goes and tells another manufacturer to do something, that has the tendency to look a little worse than Apple just saying to itself, we're not going to do this thing. And so I do think Epic potentially has a better case here. It's still a very, very difficult one to make when that 30% number is the same across basically all digital storefronts. So let's start out. In 1998, Google was founded as an exciting young company with a unique motto, don't be evil. Google's code of conduct explained that this admonishment was about how we serve our users and much more than that. It's also about doing the right thing more generally. 22 years later, Google has relegated its motto to nearly an afterthought and is using its size to do evil upon competitors, innovators, customers, and users in a slew of markets it has grown to monopolize. This case is about doing the right thing in one important area, the Android mobile ecosystem, where Google unlawfully maintains monopolies in multiple related markets, denying consumers the freedom to enjoy their mobile devices, freedom that Google always promised Android users would have. Now that presents an interesting kind of side note. They don't bring this claim as one of their counts, but you could potentially accuse Google of a kind of false advertising by having as part of its marketing platform how open Android is, except that Android is actually pretty open and they have a tricky time trying to establish that it's not in this particular case. Google acquired the Android mobile operating system more than a decade ago, promising repeatedly over time that Android would be the basis for an open ecosystem in which industry participants could freely innovate and compete without unnecessary restrictions. Google CEO Sundar Penchai represented in 2014 that Android is one of the most open systems that I've ever seen. And Andy Rubin, an Android founder who is described by some as the father of Android, said when he departed Google in 2013 that at its core, Android has always been about openness. Since then, Google has deliberately and systematically closed the Android ecosystem to competition, breaking the promises it made. I don't actually see any promises up there, but that's fine. Google's anti-competitive conduct has now been condemned by regulators the world over. Now, one thing that's unique about the United States justice system is that we don't care about what regulators the world over said about their own laws or their own rules, their own regulations, certainly politically. And in terms of the court of public opinion, you can use those kinds of things like EU rulings. But at the end of the day, the judge here will be adjudging this case based on the Sherman Act and based on United States law. And the fact that regulators acted against Google or Google Play or Apple or Microsoft or anybody else doesn't really impact the overall direction of, of what this case would say. Epic brings claims under sections one and two of the Sherman Act and under California law to end Google's unlawful monopolization and anti-competitive restraints in two separate markets, the market for the distribution of mobile apps to Android users and the market for processing payments for digital content within Android mobile apps. So that's the same claim that they made against Apple. Epic seeks to end Google's unfair monopolistic and anti-competitive actions in each of these markets, which harm device makers, app developers, app distributors, payment processors, and most importantly, consumers, but you can see where they rate in this particular formulation. 
Epic does not seek monetary compensation from this court for the injuries it has suffered. This is the same gambit that they played in Apple. They are only seeking to enjoin Google from breaking its promise from being unfair and anti-competitive. And we want to see that realized for all developers and publishers everywhere. Epic sells a lot of money on these stores and any percentage reduction would be useful to them, but they are trying to frame it as not seeking damages or monetary relief, just a new way to look at these things, Judge. Now, in terms of what they actually say Google is doing, Google has eliminated competition in the distribution of Android apps using myriad contractual and technical barriers. Google's actions force app developers and consumers into Google's own monopolized app store, the Google Play Store. Interesting use of force there. Google has thus installed itself as an unavoidable middleman for app developers who wish to reach Android users and vice versa. Google uses this monopoly power to impose a tax that siphons monopoly profits for itself every time an app developer transacts with a consumer for the sale of an app or in-app digital content. And Google further siphons off all user data exchanged in such transactions to benefit its own app designs and advertising business. Well, if anybody knows anything about siphoning off user data, it's probably Epic Games and Tencent. So we'll give them this one. If not for Google's anti-competitive behavior, the Android ecosystem could live up to Google's promise of open competition, providing Android users and developers with competing app stores that offer more innovation, significantly lower prices, and a choice of payment processors. Such an open system is not hard to imagine. Two decades ago, through the actions of courts and regulators, objection, Microsoft was forced to open up the windows for PC ecosystem. As a result, PC users have multiple options for downloading software onto their computers, either directly from developers' websites or from several competing stores. No single entity controls the ecosystem or imposes a tax on all transactions. And Google, as the developer of software such as the Chrome browser, is a direct beneficiary of this competitive landscape. Android users and developers likewise deserve free and fair competition. Yes, Windows is an open platform. You can download what you like, but within those landscapes, within those specific platforms, Steam takes its 30%, Epic Games takes its 12%, uh, and 5% for licensing of the Unreal Engine, etc., etc. So yes, it's open. And I do think that the analogy here to Windows and PC is a stronger one when you start talking about Google shopping its Android operating system than it was with Apple and its proprietary iOS that's only available on its own hardware. As they continue to describe, Android is the only commercially viable OS that is widely available to license by companies that design and sell smart mobile devices known as original equipment manufacturers. Accordingly, when those OEMs select a mobile OS to install on their devices, they have only one option, Google's Android OS. Now, that's entirely incorrect, right? They always have the option to make their OS, and many, many, many do. So what you see here is another sleight of hand, the same kind of sleight of hand that Epic used in their prior lawsuit against Apple, and that is to try to define the market in such a way that it is an obvious monopoly. Here you can see all the provisos, right? That Android is the only commercially viable OS that they choose to license, and that when OEMs select a mobile OS, not to install, that's a lie, but to license when they decide that they don't want to make their own, they have only one option because Google's the only one really selling OS licenses. Google therefore has monopoly power in the market for mobile operating systems that are available for license by OEMs, what we are going to call capital M, capital M, merchant market for mobile operating systems. 
Google has not been satisfied with its control of the Android OS. Notwithstanding its promises to make Android devices open to competition, Google has erected contractual and technological barriers that we have already talked about. Now, here's where things get a little bit interesting. For example, Google bundles the Google Play Store with a set of other Google services that Android OEMs must have on their devices, such as Gmail, Google Search, Google Maps, and YouTube, and conditions the licensing of those services on an OEM's agreement to pre-install the Google Play Store and to prominently display it. You see similar kinds of arrangements with pre-purchased personal computers as well. Google then interferes with the manufacturer's ability to make third-party app stores or apps available on the devices they make. These restrictions effectively foreclose competing app stores and even single apps from what could be a primary distribution channel. Again, Epic isn't saying so much in this lawsuit, similar to the one that they said in Epic in the Apple lawsuit, that they can't get their thing on the iPhone or on the Android phone. You can sideload. You can go around and jailbreak your iPhone. There are ways to do it, but they aren't satisfied with that. They want their method to be essentially officially supported and allowed and permitted and no barriers at all from the Googles and the Apples of the world. And as we said in yesterday's video, that's just not how products work. Now, Google's selling an operating system more than a phone. I don't think their case is as good for things that are actually Google made. But even selling an operating system, there is still a legitimate interest in being able to control how that operating system operates. Now, when you start to get into tying of apps within that operating system, you start to look a lot like those early Microsoft Windows and Internet Explorer cases. But it's still a difficult argument to make because you don't have that damage to the consumers kind of element. Epic's experience with one OEM, OnePlus, is illustrative. Epic struck a deal with OnePlus to make Epic Games available on its phones through an Epic Games app. The Epic Games app would have allowed users to seamlessly install and update Epic Games, including Fortnite, without obstacles imposed by Google's Android OS. But Google forced OnePlus to renege on the deal, citing Google's particular concern about Epic having the ability to install and update mobile games while bypassing the Google Play Store. And we'll see later on in this complaint that Google's primary method of kind of disadvantaging side loads and these other kinds of arrangements is to suggest that security is an important factor in trying to control the Android environment. And Epic basically just says that that's pretextual, says that Google and Android has absolutely nothing to worry about. They don't really present the opposite end of that kind of argument, and I don't blame them. You're not really responsible in a complaint to argue against yourself. But when we look at raw assertions, when you just have sentences that say, Google doesn't have any security worries, then you start to say, really? Well, I would be interested in seeing what Google has to say about that. And they will undoubtedly say quite a bit about that in their response. Epic continues by saying, Google also enforces anti-competitive restrictions against app developers. Specifically, Google contractually prohibits app developers from offering on the Google Play Store any app that could be used to download other apps i.e. any app that could compete with the Google Play Store in app distribution. Sure, but also any obvious open port to bring in applications, executables onto their operating system that could cause trouble, right? Regardless of what Epic says here, Google and Android do have a vested interest to not have their operating system break down all the time and to not have it completely be controlled by viruses or Russian hackers or anyone else. Now, you might think they're doing a poor job of it or that all of this is unnecessary or overly done. And Epic is arguing that throughout this complaint. 
but they still have an interest in it. They still have an interest in not having news reports on CNN or Fox News or wherever you get your your news items that say Android devices have been taken over by the Chinese or, or whatever other hacking group might take over one of these devices. And so they do have a vested interest in trying to secure the platforms and the hardware themselves. Maybe it's overly done, but maybe not. And just by kind of waving your hands at it, it, uh, it isn't a great look in a complaint like this one. And Google further requires app developers to distribute their apps through the Google Play Store if they wish to advertise their apps through valuable advertising channels controlled by Google, such as ad placements on Google Search or on YouTube that are specifically optimized to advertise mobile apps. I mean, sure, Google is also an ad placer. In fact, Google makes most of its money doing ad placement, selling ads like on videos like this one. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're exerting monopoly power or otherwise creating trouble for the consumers. And that's where Epic continues to stumble. Finally, Google stifles or blocks consumers' ability to download app stores and apps directly from developers' websites. As anyone who has tried to download directly on an Android device knows, it is significantly different than the simple process available on a personal computer. Directly downloading Fortnite on an Android device can involve a dozen steps, require the user to change default settings, and bravely click through multiple dire warnings. And even if a persistent user manages to install a competing app store, Google prevents such stores from competing on equal footing with the Google Play Store by blocking them from offering basic functions such as automatic updating of apps in the background, which is available for apps downloaded from the Google Play Store. Now, this is their primary issue here, right? This is the people that came onto my social media, commented on prior videos, said this is a tough argument for Epic to make, where they have to claim that Android is not an open system, even though you can sideload other things on the Android OS, because Google has made it too hard, that they warn you about executables that could potentially harm your phone and say, hey, do you trust this provider of this executable? Very similar to the PC. And Epic is really alighting that issue and hand-waving at it, right? Your PC in general is going to ask you about files from the internet, is going to ask you about things that you want to install on your computer. And I think that's good practice. And so when you say Google shouldn't be doing that, that Google should be allowing what is later called in this complaint a silent load and shouldn't be warning folks about that and shouldn't be prohibiting that activity, Epic starts to have even looser footing than they otherwise had in the rest of this complaint. Android is a more open platform than iOS, and Epic struggles to get around that issue throughout this document. Google engages in these anti-competitive acts to eliminate consumer choice and competition in mobile app distribution. Google has no legitimate justification for these restrictions. Google therefore has broken its promises that Android would be an open ecosystem in which other participants could participate fairly. So again, that broken promise thing is not a legal claim. It's not anything that they are bringing as part of a legal action. They're just trying to establish rhetorically that Google is a bad actor. It's not terribly useful in a complaint like this. And just like yesterday's complaint, a lot of this 60 plus pages reads more as a press release than an actual federal lawsuit complaint. So one is wise to ask what exactly is Epic doing here, and that might be something that we cover in a later video as well. But suffice it to say, Google has no legitimate justification for these restrictions is a raw assertion and completely elides some legitimate justifications that I could imagine, and we will see in the response documents that Google and Apple put out there. Continuing on, the result in all of this is that every in-app transaction for digital content, it is Google, not the app developer, that collects the payment in the first instance. Google then taxes the transaction at an exorbitant 30% rate, remitting the remaining 70% to the developer who actually made the sale. This 30% commission is often 10 times higher than the price typically paid for the use of other electronic payment solutions. This is the same kind of sleight of hand that they used in the Apple complaint, but they are trying to establish that all 
Apple is doing, all Google is doing is payment processing, which is flatly untrue and is completely transparent in both of these complaints. Apple and Google are selling access to their user base, an access that Epic desperately wants, and they spend pages and pages and pages establishing that consumers are happy in the Apple ecosystem and they're happy in the Android ecosystem and that they want access to those user bases because they would like to make money. Thank you, Judge. But then they go and they say 30%. That's not a payment processing rate. And indeed, it's not because they are trying to gain access to these operating systems and these user bases that the creator of these operating systems and this hardware and these user bases has every right to control. They continue by saying, Epic has publicly advocated for years that Google cease the anti-competitive conduct addressed in this complaint. Google refused to change its industry impacting conduct. Instead, Google offered to placate Epic by offering it preferential terms on side deals, such as YouTube sponsorships and cloud services, if Epic agreed to distribute Fortnite in the Google Play Store and acceded to Google's 30% tax. Tax is, again, a derogatory word for what is a fee associated with access to the store. But it's interesting here, right? Now you start to see, and this is happening on Apple as well and various other places, Amazon, every big tech company, if you have enough leverage, if you are a big enough vendor, a content creator for their service, they are, of course, going to talk to you about potentially negotiating their fee downward. That's not unusual. In fact, Epic is engaged on a very regular basis, as I know a lot of you know here in virtual legality, with negotiation of terms. On what terms? The exclusivity contracts that they are signing with people to get them off of Steam, to make sure that Steam users don't have that competitive choice to play the game that they would like to play on Steam and are forced instead to play it in their ecosystem. They're negotiating those terms. They're negotiating what those numbers are, what the royalty rates are, what the flat fee at the start is, what protection they are going to get, what protection the developer is going to get. It's normal. You negotiate those kinds of things. And somebody like Remedy is going to get a better deal than the folks that are making ooblets. Why? Because Remedy is a lot bigger. And that's, again, normal. Having market power is not illegal. Monopolizing, using that market power in a way that is unreasonable is illegal. And they can't make that case. They continue by saying something that's pretty interesting. Google has reached at least one preferential deal with another mobile game developer, Activision Blizzard, and Epic believes that Google is using similar deals with other companies to allow Google to keep its monopolistic behavior publicly unchallenged. That piece of information is really interesting, right? Because in general, these things are going to have a non-disclosure component. You're not allowed to reveal to everybody else what we just agreed to with you. That's normal for these kind of negotiations. You don't want to set a precedent. You don't want other people to say, you gave this to Activision. And yet Epic knows about it so much that in a federal court filing, they are stating it as fact. And everything else they state as belief that they think these other things are happening. So they have some kind of factual backing for Activision Blizzard signing one of these deals, which means somebody leaked it. Maybe that's Activision seeking to get some help on bringing Apple and Google down. Maybe that's somebody else, but it's a very interesting sentence and it wouldn't surprise me if we get a little bit more reporting on that. But Epic is not interested in any side deals that might benefit Epic alone. No. While leaving Google's anti-competitive restraints intact, instead, Epic is focused on opening up the Android ecosystem for the benefit of all developers and consumers. Look at these clean hands, Judge. Look at them. And so you get the same kind of uh, description of the parties, description of jurisdiction, everything else that we saw in the prior lawsuit against Apple. And then we start getting into the markets, right? And this is where they make their best case. The vast majority of OEMs do not develop their own OS and must choose an OS that can be licensed for installation on smart mobile devices they design. Again, we're using the word must here in a very fashionable way to try to make your complaint strong, but obviously they don't have to license someone else's 
operating system, just like nobody has to license Unity or the Unreal Engine. They can always make their own. There is therefore a relevant merchant market for mobile OSs, comprising mobile OSs that OEMs can license for installation on the smart mobile devices they manufacture. Again, that's the trick, right? Nobody is claiming that Android has a monopoly on all operating systems or even on all phone operating systems. So you have to try to start defining this thing down until it looks like a monopoly. And in this case, it's you're the only ones that somebody who doesn't want to make their own and is otherwise making a phone can license on a reasonable commercial basis. Okay. The market does not include proprietary OSs that are not available for licensing, such as Apple's mobile OS called iOS. We wouldn't include that because then it wouldn't look like a monopoly. Historically, the merchant market for mobile OSs has included the Android OS developed by Google, the Tizen mobile OS, a partially open-sourced mobile OS that is developed by the Linux Foundation and Samsung, and the Windows Phone OS developed by Microsoft, right? You have all these other potential options, and more to the point, you clearly have a kind of tumult here that you can create your own operating system if you are inclined to do so. The fact that people look at the Android operating system and say, yeah, that's better, that's easier, that's cheaper than making my own is not indicative of illegal monopoly power. It's indicative of a good product sold at a good price. And so you start to get into the same problem as you have with the rest of their complaint. Now to set the actual percentages here, Epic says as follows. Google has monopoly power in that merchant market for mobile OSs through its Android OS. As determined by the European Commission during the course of its investigation of Android, the Android OS, licensed to OEMs in relevant respects by Google, is installed on over 95% of all mobile devices sold by OEMs utilizing a merchant mobile OS. Again, look at all those restrictions, right? They hit 95% of manufactured items using a sale licensed OS, not anybody else. Indeed, they continue on, Android OS is installed on nearly 75% of all smart mobile devices sold by all OEMs, including even those OEMs that use a proprietary mobile OS they developed exclusively for their own use, such as Apple's iOS. So the real number here in terms of operating systems on phones that they want to highlight under the European Commission's review is 75%. They say that the market of operating systems is 75% Android. That gives them monopoly power. That's a pretty high number. Now, depending on the judge, 75% might be enough. You certainly don't have the same problem that you have on Apple where they sell 57% of the phones and clearly they don't have a majority of the operating system number, right? Apple has some portion of 25% if this is all accurate. So that creates its own problem over in Apple lawsuit land. But right now they want to claim that 75% is enough to exert market power, to exert that monopoly power. And it might be, it might be. But the question then becomes, are they in fact exerting it in a fashion that hurts consumers? They then make the same cases that they made with respect to Apple. I do think that OEM claim is a better one because you do have a similar kind of thing of Windows and other manufacturers and actually working to halt other manufacturers doing certain things with the operating system that they would otherwise like to do. Then you get into the app distribution market and you have the same issues that we had yesterday. There is a relevant market for the distribution of apps compatible with the Android OS to users of mobile devices. This market is comprised of all the channels by which mobile apps may be distributed to the hundreds of millions of users of mobile devices running the Android OS. The market primarily includes Google's dominant Google Play Store with smaller stores such as the Galaxy Store and Aptoid, Aptoid, I think, trailing far behind. Nominally only the direct downloading of apps without using an app store, which Google pejoratively describes as sideloading is also within this market. It's a little projection, right? I've never thought of sideloading as particularly pejorative, but Epic does because it's useful for their claim. 
App stores allow consumers to easily browse, search for access reviews on purchase, download, and do various things on their phone. And then we get to some percentages. Google's monopoly power can be demonstrated by, among other things, Google's massive market share in terms of apps downloaded. The European Commission determined that within the market, this is the market of their own app store, more than 90% of app downloads through app stores have been done through the Google Play Store. So on Androids, you're in the Android ecosystem, 90% of app downloads are done through Google Play. Indeed, although app stores for merchant mobile OSs other than Android are not included in the Android app distribution market, the European Commission found that only such app store with any appreciable presence was the Windows mobile store, which was compatible with the Windows mobile OS, and determined that even if the Windows mobile store was included, the the Google Play store would still have had a market share greater than 90%. Okay, so again, they have this 90%, and they might have a monopoly in app sales on their own operating system in a fashion very similar to Apple having monopoly on the sale of apps within its own operating system as well. But you then have to make the case that that isn't essentially lawfully gained, right? That they're running their own operating system, that Google Play runs best on the Android, and that the other app stores have potential problems, whether it's with functionality or security or anything else, and that people like the big button that says Google when they're running a Google OS, and it's pretty normal to think that they do. And so you have to actually establish that they have harmed the competition in some way, which is exactly what Epic tries to do. First, Google conditions the manufacturer's licensing of the Google Play Store as well as other essential Google services and the Android trademark on OEM's agreements to provide the Google Play Store with preferential treatment compared to any other competing app store. Specifically to access the Google Play Store, Android OEMs have signed a mobile application distribution agreement, which they call a MATA, with Google. A MATA confers a license to a bundle of products comprising proprietary Google apps, Google-supplied services necessary for functioning of mobile apps, and the Android trademark. Through its MATAs with Android's manufacturers, Google requires those manufacturers to locate the Google Play Store on the home screen of each mobile device. Okay. Android OEMs must further pre-install up to 30 Google mandatory apps and must locate these apps on the home screen or on the next screen, occupying valuable space on each user's mobile device that otherwise could be occupied by competing app stores and other services. Absolutely true, not unusual for hardware of all kinds. But they're trying to establish that there are requirements to getting that license to the Android operating system, just as I would suspect there are some significant requirements to using the Unreal Engine, the Unreal logo, and the Epic Games trademark. Second, Google interferes with OEM's ability to distribute Android app stores and apps directly to consumers outside the Google Play Store. Some OEMs may choose to compete for buyers by offering mobile devices that provide easy access to additional mobile app stores and apps. For example, an OEM may pre-install an icon corresponding to an app store or app on the device before it is sold to consumers. Indeed, that's exactly what Google is asking for them to do with respect to Google apps. Even when an OEM would want to make mobile apps available to consumers in this way, Google imposes unjustified and pretextual warnings, raw assertion about the security of installing the app, even though the consumer is choosing to install the app in full awareness of its source. That's not usually the argument you see, right? It's normal for computers of all kinds, whether that's a small one like your phone or your personal computer or your laptop, to say, hey, Uh, If you're going to install this thing and it's going to affect potentially our system software or it's going to be an executable that we tell you that these are the kinds of things that the computer could have something go wrong with and then you click the button and everything is fine. Epic objects to that because they would prefer it if people didn't have to think about clicking on that Fortnite button. 
Epic recently reached an agreement with OnePlus. This is the same one that was described in their theory of the case. An OEM to allow users of OnePlus mobile devices to seamlessly install Fortnite and other Epic games by touching an Epic Games app on their device without encountering any obstacles imposed by the Android OS. In conjunction with this agreement, Epic designed a version of Fortnite for certain OnePlus devices that delivers a state-of-the-art frame rate, providing an even better gameplay experience for Fortnite players. Although the original agreement between Epic and OnePlus contemplated making this installation method available worldwide, Google demanded that OnePlus not implement its agreement with Epic with the limited exception of mobile devices sold in India. OnePlus informed Epic that Google was particularly concerned that the Epic Games app would have ability to potentially install and update multiple games with a silent install bypassing the Google Play Store, which they then say in the footnote that a silent install is an installation process free of the dire security warnings that Google triggers when apps are directly downloaded, such as the one-touch process on which Epic and OnePlus had agreed. They wanted to be able to put warnings that this particular piece of software was doing X or Y. Further, any waiver of Google's restriction would be rejected due to the Epic Games app serving as a potential portfolio of games and game updates. As a result, OnePlus mobile device users in India can install Epic Games seamlessly without using the Google Play Store, while users outside of India cannot. Now, there's probably an interesting story there why India is separate from this particular agreement, and it's a story which we might find out later on, but which we don't know right now. The point is that the claim that I think is their best one that they have is that Google is actually starting to interfere in a third-party relationship, that the manufacturer and the publisher want to agree to something, and Google, by licensing its operating system to that manufacturer, is getting in the way, is getting involved. Now, I still think that Google has the right to have things like security warnings on sideloads and other executables that you could put on their phone, but... To my eye, this is a better case. This is a better claim than saying that Apple can't control its curated walled garden environment. Google doesn't have the same control over a OnePlus piece of hardware, doesn't have that same interaction between its operating system and that hardware. And so its interest is in fact less than Apple controlling its hardware and wanting to sell to folks that want it to just work and don't want to think about side loads and all these other things. They actually have a market. They have a marketing model, a business model to sell their hardware to the specific walled garden audience in a way that Android and Google and OnePlus and licensing don't reflect. So out of their arguments here, I think this is their strongest one, but note, they still have to establish that Google is doing something untoward. And the major problem here is that Google is doing the same thing as everybody else, has been doing the same thing as everybody else, hasn't recently raised prices or anything like that, and has made inroads, has made this market, has been a popular license on exactly these terms for a very long time. Continuing with Epic's complaint, we get to, but for Google's anti-competitive acts, Android users could freely download apps from developers' websites rather than through an app store, just as they might do on a personal computer. There is no reason that downloading and installing an app on a mobile device should differ from downloading and installing software on a personal computer. Millions of personal computer users download and install software directly every day, such as Google's own Chrome browser or Adobe's Acrobat Reader. Personal computer users do this easily and safely. Now, judges... And lawyers in general are not the most technologically savvy class of people, period. 
but I think even they have interactions with personal computers enough to know that downloading and putting something on your computer is a dangerous act each and every time you do it from the internet. It's why we have things like antivirus software. It's why we have things like notifications when an executable might be executed by our computer and hopefully warnings when you get particularly dicey attachments to that email. So this paragraph suggests two things that I object to really on both sides of the spectrum. One, that there is nothing to separate a phone from a personal computer. That's entirely wrong, right? Yes, they have computer qualities. Yes, they have things that relate them to computers. Yes, an OEM running an Android operating system is analogous to a personal computer running Windows, and you can bring up those analogies. I would have liked to have seen actual precedent references in this complaint rather than just random kind of pontification, but I digress. They aren't the same, and no one would accuse you of saying that they are the same, right? No one would say that the phone and the computer are the same piece of hardware, so we wind up in this situation where you just asserting it immediately winds up with a kind of reaction from me that says, no, they're not the same, They can be analogous, but they aren't the same. And what are the differences? Some of those differences are that they are specifically created to perform this function of communications and to operate, presumably, in collaboration with this operating system that you have licensed. And so there is a vested interest on both sides of that particular argument in a way that maybe just building a personal computer doesn't have. Secondarily, the second issue here is that you have a safety issue, even downloading things to personal computers. And it is a safety issue with downloading things to an Android or certainly to an Apple or anywhere else. And these companies do have a vested interest in trying to stay out of the news with a report that their stuff is broken and has been collapsed by hackers somewhere. So you don't get to make this argument and just say there is no reason that it should be different. That just doesn't play for me. Finally, we get to everything else, right? We get to the actual counts that they want to bring all the way down here. They talk about a lot of numbers and we get to exactly the kind of complaints that they made yesterday. They declare that it's an illegal restraint of trade, an illegal monopoly under the Sherman Act. And every problem that I raised in yesterday's video, please do go check it out is the same right here. They have trouble establishing the market. When they do establish the market, and I think that OEM license market is a closer call than the app distribution market, then they still have a problem establishing that Google is actually harming consumers. They have that problem not just because Google is operating in the same percentage as basically everybody else with a storefront, but also because consumers don't appear to be getting the benefit of any kind of discount on things like the Epic Game Store, except for a rare exception. So they have to establish that that money would be going to consumers in any event, and it's not just developers and publishers seeking to advantage themselves over these platform holders, when in reality, the Sherman Act doesn't have that much of a vested interest in making sure that that relationship is okay if it doesn't otherwise hit consumers' bottom line. Now, there is one thing that I wanted to raise here, which is in their Apple lawsuit. So this is a little bit of a bonus for yesterday's video as well that I didn't discuss. I want to discuss a little bit more. They bring up a claim both under the Sherman Act and in their California Acts, which mirror the Sherman Act, about tying. They want to say that what is happening here is a tying of different applications and using monopoly power to essentially benefit themselves in a way that they wouldn't otherwise be able to do without that monopoly power. Here's how they describe it. Google has unlawfully tied the Google Play Store to its in-app payment processor, Google Play Billing, through its DDAs with app developers and its development program policies. Google has sufficient economic power in the tying market, the app distribution market, 
With Google Play Store installed on nearly all Android OS devices and over 90% of downloads on Android OS devices being performed by the Google Play Store, Google has overwhelming market power in that app distribution market. Google's market power is further evidenced by its ability to extract supra-competitive taxes on the sale of apps through the Google Play Store. Same issue as before. It's the same number as everybody else. Hard to establish that as supra-competitive. The availability of the Google Play Store for app distribution is conditioned on the app developer accepting a second product, Google's in-app payment processing services. So they're trying to divide the 30% that you have to pay for in-app purchases from the 30% that you have to pay for the initial app purchase in a fashion that I don't think makes a lot of sense, but it's clear that they're trying to separate these two things specifically so that they can make this point. And they did the same thing in the Apple complaint. Google's foreclosure of alternative app distribution channels forces developers like Epic to use Google's in-app payment processing services, which Google has expressly made a condition of reaching Android users through its dominant Google Play Store. The tying product, Android app distribution, is distinct from the tied product, Android in-app payment processing, because app developers such as Epic have alternative in-app payment processing options and would prefer to choose among them independently of how an Android app is distributed. Google's unlawful tying arrangement thus ties two separate products that are in separate markets. Now, this is a very, very tough case to make. Because Google is saying when $10 comes into us, when you buy the app, it's $7 to you, $3 to us. And when you buy an add-on to the app, it's no different to us. It's the same as an app. It's $7 to you, $3 to us. And they are trying to say that those two functions are distinct and different. And the reason they are trying to say that is because there is a way to bring a claim against a firm, a company, under the Sherman Act that says if you are tying two products together, generally of different markets, and using the monopoly power of one to sell a inferior product in the other, then that could be seen as an anti-competitive practice that should be stopped. So one of the things that Epic might be trying to achieve here is that they might be trying to bring all of these claims just to get to the point where you can divide the initial 30% from the in-app 30% because Epic doesn't sell their game. Fortnite is free to play. And so Fortnite's money comes entirely from in-app purchases. So if they can separate those things and the judge says, well, you can't charge 30% on in-app purchases, Epic doesn't care as much about the first point. They don't care as much about 30% coming into apps if they can get out of this, what they are calling secondary market, which is a very tricky claim to make. Let's look at what the Federal Trade Commission has to say about this particular issue. Offering products together as part of a package can benefit consumers who like the convenience of buying several items at the same time. Offering products together can also reduce the manufacturer's costs for packaging, shipping, and promoting the products. Not really in the digital environment, but, but still. Of course, some consumers might prefer to buy the product separately, and when they are offered only as part of a package, it can be more difficult for consumers to buy only what they want. For competitive purposes, a monopolist may use forced buying or tie-in sales to gain sales in other markets where it is not dominant and to make it more difficult for rivals in those markets to obtain sales. This may limit consumer choice for buyers wanting to purchase one product by forcing them to also buy a second as well. Typically, the tied product may be a less desirable one that the buyer might not purchase unless required to do so or may prefer to get from a different seller. If the seller offering the tied products has sufficient market power in the tying product, these arrangements can violate the antitrust laws. They give an example about a drug case. The law on tying is changing. Although the Supreme Court has treated some tie-ins as per se illegal in the past, 
Lower courts have started to apply the more flexible rule of reason. You essentially have to convince the judge that this is a problem to assess the competitive effects of tied sales. Cases turn on particular factual settings, but the general rule is that tying products does raise antitrust questions when it restricts competition without providing benefits to consumers. And of course, the benefit to the consumer here is that it's easy that this is the operating system that they wanted. They're in the Google Play Store. They don't want to have to think about these other buttons. And yes, Epic wants to say, we can sell it to you at a discount if we can go around the horn. And they're trying to establish that that is what will happen. But this whole mega drop thing is a bit of a marketing show. We don't have any indication that lowering prices on things like the Epic Game Store, where we have an actual real life example of lower distribution costs, is actually affecting the bottom line price of the games being sold. And I strongly suspect it wouldn't affect the bottom line price of things like microtransactions in this space. The other problem that you have from an economic standpoint is that 1,000 V-Bucks doesn't mean anything on its own, right? That 1,000 V-Bucks that is sold at a 20% discount would be very easy to only purchase 80% of what it could purchase yesterday, tomorrow, if Epic were to deign to do so, right? That rubber duck costume that you want in Fortnite might have cost 1,500 V-Bucks yesterday, might cost 2,000 V-Bucks tomorrow, and the discount on the V-Bucks is just a kind of arbitrage in which Epic makes significantly more money by saying, quote-unquote, it's discounted, but there is no inherent value in what they are selling you. So Epic is trying to have it both ways on a fight like this. They're trying to make a claim that those two products, which are essentially the same, are different. And then they're accusing a monopoly power in one product of affecting a monopoly power in the other product, even though the monopoly power, such that it exists, is exactly the same. Even still, it is a major claim that they brought up in their case. I shouldn't have skipped over it yesterday. I hope this was illustrative of the claims that they are making. And I hope that you found this as interesting as our deep dive into the Apple lawsuit. It looks like we're gonna wind up at about the same time as yesterday's video. Please do leave comments to this video. Please leave me your own thoughts. I know it's very easy to hate the Apples and Googles of the world. And I, I know it's very easy to hate the Epics of the world. One thing we try to do in virtual legality is we try to analyze things from an objective basis of the legal reality of the thing. We can't predict what a judge will do. We can't predict what lawyers will do. We can't predict what Epic will do, obviously. But we can say how the law has been interpreted, what exactly the Sherman Act means, how this is a very difficult case to make. And that doesn't mean you have to be on Epic's side as a company. It doesn't mean you have to like that they're owned 40% by Tencent. It doesn't mean that you have to like how they are doing exclusive contracts and taking games away from Steam. And it doesn't mean that you have to hate Apple or Google or like them coming from the other direction. What it does mean is that we don't want to have our legal framework established solely on what company we like or what company we hate or anything else. We want to be able to make these discussions, these decisions, and have these kinds of conversations in a space where we are discussing the actual merits of what they are doing. Now, in all likelihood, I'll do another video on where I think Epic is really acting problematically in terms of leveraging what I would call a hashtag outrage mob to really have trial by internet outrage mob in a fashion that I think is very untoward. But whether or not I make that video, I think it's worth noting that Epic is taking a number of leaps, making a number of novel legal arguments in a fashion that if they were to win, would have significant effects on the way the industry looks and operates across Nintendo, Sony, Microsoft, potentially Steam, potentially the Epic Game Store, and a whole host of other digital storefronts and service providers. And it's worth noting that fact, even if you love what Epic's doing, even if you want them to hold Apple and Google's feet to the fire, that there are potential second order effects. And those are second order effects that I don't think are warranted for what Epic seeks to do today.
This has been Virtual Legality again for today. Sorry for a couple of long videos in a row, but when we go into those lawsuits and when Epic writes 60 plus pages of them, even cutting them down to be understandable is quite the process in and of itself. But we are talking about these kinds of things, not just Fortnite, not just Epic, but also Dr. Disrespect, the marketing of the Xbox Series X, the difficulty with trying to figure out what's happening with the WB game sale, not sale. If you like any of those topics, please like, subscribe, share. We're always talking about business and law through the lens of pop culture, music, movie, TV, and video games. So please do tell your friends. Otherwise, if you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.